How does God help us break through strongholds? Bianca Oldhoff is our guest this week discussing how God helped her break through strongholds related to eating and body image. It's all in episode 60 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 60 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week, our guest is Bianca Oldhoff. Bianca is the chief storyteller at the A21 campaign, where she describes herself as a freedom writer who advocates for justice. She spent 10 years building the church and mobilizing God's people to action alongside her husband, Matt, who is the lead outreach pastor at Mariner's Church in Irvine, California. And now, here's our conversation with Bianca Oldhoff. Well, Bianca, it is such a privilege to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Bianca, you have uh, been speaking at a lot of conferences around, and uh, women just love to hear what you're thinking and how you're leading them in Bible study. What's one of your favorite things about the calling that God has placed on your life? The most interesting thing I would say at the moment is, yes, I get the opportunity to travel quite a bit places and speak at various conferences, but that's just a microcosm of what I get to do. And I think that sometimes we could focus on like the conferences or one aspect of somebody's call and ministry, but some of the most exciting things that I get to do at the moment are dream of great resources that could... Uh, that could facilitate and be used within the church. I also am chief storyteller for the A21 campaign. We're a global anti-human trafficking organization, as well as creative director for Propel Women. So my life is really boring, Andrew. I have lots <laughs> of time, lots of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and how do you do that? Like, I mean, I think there's a lot of resources out there. How do you create space where you're so busy and you're traveling a lot for that creativity? Right. You know, as some of the the number one question that I get from women literally across the globe, um, uh, the work that I get to do is it's an honor and privilege that I do get to travel. And so I literally am hearing um, people from London to Bulgaria to Ukraine to um, Mexico to Canada to the United States. And the number one question they ask is this question of balance. And I'm realizing in this season that it, life is full on. I am married. I have two uh, great stepkids. I have the world's cutest dachshund who is slightly overweight. I come from a big Hispanic family. I, I have my in-laws. I have church and ministry and work. And so, and I'm still trying to lose those 10 pounds that I've gained since marriage. So, I mean, life is full on. How do we find balance to hear the voice of God, um, to feel refreshed, to take charge and do what God's called us to do. And I think that there's certain things that I just hold sacred. And I know people say, be weary of sacred cows. That's not what I'm talking about here. I am talking about, we've got to hold on to those things that give us life. And no, we can't do them 23 hours out of our 24 hours a day. But two of the things that I hold sacred um, where I get to just kind of process and hear God speak is when I work out and when I get to spend time with Jesus. And I know that sounds just like so hyper-spiritual, like have that devotional time. I hear my mom's voice in the background, you know, make sure you have your devotional time. And and I think the fun thing about this is that it's been ingrained in me since a child that you have to make time for what God's doing. And I've been fortunate enough to kind of say yes to those things and fighting for those things. And balance is this elusive thing. Because if you actually take a look at the definition of balance, everything's in stasis. And this is my nature. I know it's in my nature. But if there's a call of ministry upon our life, whether you are you know, externally focused or internally focused, or you're an extrovert or an introvert, 
we are always striving for more and not selfish ambition, but striving for more for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. And so we've got to hold on to the truth of God's word. So our identity is framed in that, our call is reaffirmed in that, we're rejuvenated in that, but kind of letting go this idea that women can have and do it all. Um, Balance is a scary word for me personally. I don't want to be in stasis. I don't ever want everything to be so taut and tight and regimented that I don't have space to hear from God. So balance, I throw that word out. There's some days where I'm working 15 hours a day, and there's some days where I just need to sit and have, quote unquote, a Sabbath with my husband and kids. But to say that this is how it's done, I think everyone needs to develop their own rhythms of grace, what works for them, and making sure that in the midst of all that, find the things that give you life. For me, it's working out and spending time with Jesus, but that it will look different for other people. So really fighting for those things and kind of shaking off the shame of like balance and looking at everyone's Pinterest and perfectly designed homes. I've acquiesced to the idea that, you know, I'm not a Pinterest girl and I can't cook gourmet meals. Now I can throw down to the kitchen, Andrew. I'm just probably, it's not Pinterest worthy. It's delicious, probably not paleo worthy, but those things that kind of give us life and we hold on to that we can't be all things to all people. I mean, Paul the apostle did it, but I'm just not Paul. And, um, and, and really holding on to kind of what gives us life and letting go of kind of the constructs or confines that society, both Christian and non-Christian, put on us. I think that's good. I mean, it's, it sounds like you're saying take freedom to rest when you need to rest and to push hard when you need to push hard. Absolutely. And- Absolutely. And here's, okay, so now I'm going to swing to the other side. I think that sometimes we don't know how far we can go. And so we, we, we hold this like, oh, I'm so out of balance right now. That's true. But there's seasons where we need to remember we're waging a battle for souls, especially those who are working in ministry. And um, like I mentioned, I work for an anti-human trafficking organization and I do travel a lot. So the idea of, oh, I must you know be in bed at this time and I cannot do any work past this time or I won't do work past this time. I think sometimes our boundaries, um, actually I got this from my boss, Christine Kane. She said that sometimes our boundaries become our prisons where we erect these huge walls because we're trying to insulate ourselves where if we tear down those walls, we will be surprised at how much more we are capable, our capacity is and how much further we can go if we just stop thinking about ourselves. Mm. That's really good. Uh, we had Christine on the, the show at one point, and it was great to talk to her. How did you get connected with her, and kind of how have you been coming alongside of the amazing ministry that she's doing? Well, I was trafficked into our ministry, Andrew. And uh, Andrew, you were supposed to laugh. That oh. was funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um I actually met Christine at a conference, a leadership conference in California, and I was part of the conference. I was doing some backstage hosting, and when my husband found out that Chris Chris was one of my interviews, uh, he was working at a a large church in Orange County, California, and said, hey, I'd like to connect with her to talk about anti-trafficking measures here in California, to which I said, no way, we're not going to be fangirls. We can't do this. No, no, no. And of course, my husband ignored me. And um, after the interview, he made his way over to Christine, and I, I introduced them, connected, and it was a wonderful interview. And then that was it. Well, two days later, they continued on their conversation, and I had to continue on with my work. Well, two days later, I walk into um, our apartment, and my husband's like, hey, would you like to have dinner with Nick and Christine Kane? 
And I looked at him like in complete shock, like, are you kidding me? Is the Pope Catholic? Of course I want to go to dinner with them. And he's like, okay, ground rules. Don't try to be funny. Don't talk a lot. This is a very important meeting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I will be your P31. I will be submissive and docile, a quiet, meek spirit. You won't even know it's me. Like I will be so submissive. You will be shocked. Well, We go to dinner and within 10 minutes, Chris and I are dying of laughter. We're talking about life, liberty, the pursuit of Jesus, calling, passion. And I just started asking some probing questions about the A21 website and who manages social media. Uh, I've had this love of language and words and communication since I was a kid. And uh, so what I didn't know is at that time, they were looking for someone to kind of take over communications and marketing. Well, I was kind of probing and asking questions. And then she asked me this pointed question in the midst of our laughter that just changed the atmosphere. She said, what are you doing with your life? And I had this grandiose like word. I just said, you know what? I believe that God's called me to change the world and I want to change the world for Jesus. And she's like, are you doing that writing your blog? And Andrew, it was one of those moments where I kind of felt like punched in the face and then like slapped. And then I, I didn't know how to answer that question. Like, um, yeah, you, I mean, <laughs> do you think so? And, um, and, and, and she said, I, I would like you to you pray about a 21. Well, that prayer kind of opened up a rabbit hole and I felt like Alice tumbling into something that was so dark and so it was so depraved and it really shows the desolation of what humans can do to other humans. And um, I spoke to my now coworker, uh, kind of as a pre-interview type of thing. And she said, you know that you will be overworked and underpaid. And I said, sign me up, you know, <laughs> like, sure, this is great. I was at a crossroads of my life and and Chris kind of picked at a scab, if you will. She said, you could build a kingdom unto yourself, or you can build a kingdom that glorifies God. And, you know, I've been given some opportunities to write and speak and do this other stuff. And I think that's the norm within especially Western culture, specifically here in the United States. Like, oh, you're gifted and called, you know, build your platform. Um, and then kind of talking to Nick and Christine, it really changed the paradigm of what I thought. And it has been so painful, but beautiful, so hard, but so glorious. And so five and a half years later, I'm here to kind of witness and to testify like how one conversation really changed, not just the trajectory of my life, but changed my life. Hmm. When you, you talk about that hard and and I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is you have a new book coming out that that kind of plays off the theme of fire. And, uh, uh, called play with fire. And, you know, when you think about fire, you think about the destructive power of fire, but also, um, that it can be used for good. It can be transformative. And so tell us how, how you kind of came up with this, with this idea and and how this book came about. You know, it's so funny. I think it's such a great segue. Are you a professional, Andrew? Like, (laughs) come on now. I like to think so. (laughs) Um, you know, it's so funny because that conversation that I had with Christine and Nick and my amazing husband uh, kind of was the the beginning of, of God doing something new. And like I, I mentioned, you, there was opportunities to write a book and more speaking and writing and, and that's all great. But I knew that God was kind of pulling me in a different direction and I didn't want to let it go. Well, during that time, I kind of felt, uh, I had a conversation with a, a, a good friend of mine and we were kind of processing this. I Now I had already been on team at A21. I'd been there for about two or three months and I started realizing that there's no way I'd be able to continue to do what I was doing and then also what I had the responsibility to do at work. And it was painful for me because I felt like I had to come face to face with the idea of letting go what I loved 
to do what I believe that God had called me to do. I loved teaching. I loved communicating. I loved leading. I loved, you know, being a ministry brat. My father's a pastor. I grew up in the church. And, um, but I, I knew I had to lay it down. And I was talking to my friend and he said, you know what? Moses had to lay down his staff. God asked him to lay down his staff. And what his staff represented was not just a tool of a shepherd. The staff represented his influence, his income, and his identity. And he laid that down, not knowing what God was going to do with it. And he said, when God asks you to lay something down, it's either because it's not yours to carry, or you're going to raise it up with new, greater strength. And it was so painful. So I I had a conversation with Nick and Chris, and they said, you know what, you, you just don't think that you're going to have the capacity to, to continue to keep your speaking schedule, you know, say no to the book. She basically told me in not so many words, like, what do you have to say? Like, what do you have to talk about, Bianca? And Because you know Christine, she's so gentle. She's such a gentle little flower. She was like, Bianca, what are you going to write about? What you write about in five to ten years is going to so outweigh what you're going to write right now. And I hated to admit that she was right, but in my heart, I knew it. I I knew it. And so I laid it down. And so for about two, three years, I, I, I let it go. And now God is so funny. And almost to Chris's word, she said, what you write in five to 10 years will be so much stronger than what you could write now. And five years later, I'm attesting to that. Um, the book is entitled Play With Fire. And in our culture, we are told, don't play with fire. Play with fire, you get burned. There's all these rules around this beautifully dangerous thing. But every time we see fire mentioned from Genesis to Revelation, every time we see fire mentioned, the presence of God is revealed. And not only that, those that encounter this fire, their lives are transformed. So whether it's Abraham um, with, with, with creating a covenant through fire, uh, whether it is Moses as he laid down his staff to this burning bush that's talking to him, whether it is uh, the children of Israel being led by a pillar of fire at night, whether it's tongues of flaming fire that appear over the disciples in Acts, or whether, you know, God is referred to as an all-consuming fire in Hebrews chapter 11, or a refiner's fire that we see in the New Testament as well. Like every time that there's fire, people's lives are transformed and the very presence of God is revealed. And we see that through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I started thinking all those things that seem dangerous, like those moments that feel like we are going to die in the midst of this. It's in the midst of the fire the presence of God is revealed and our lives are transformed. So I talk a little bit about my journey growing up. Um, I grew up first-generation American. Um, I have cr- a crazy Hispanic family, lots of kids, because you know Hispanics. They just love to populate. Mm-hmm. And there's a call of ministry upon my dad's life. We started a church. Uh, my mother was kind of this beautiful, laissez-faire hippie who wanted to home educate her children because the schools where we lived at in the hood were so ghetto. And they just didn't want to subject their children to to that environment. So they home educated us. And my mom read this book by Dr. Raymond Moore called Better Late Than Early. And um, the whole premise was like, don't rush your children to learn because they'll naturally learn and naturally love it. Well, at the age of 11 and a half, I couldn't read, write, or spell. I could spot read, but I couldn't, there was no comprehension and I re- really struggled. So I fit every statistician's kind of <laughs> uh, hope of failure, um, you know, but in this midst of being like this oppressed woman of color, first-generation American, living in the hood, unable to read, write, or spell, 
I made this daring, bold promise to God. I said, if you give me words, I will give you my voice. And years later, (laughs) I feel like God's kept his promise. And what we realize is that when God gives us his gifts, when God keeps his promises, it isn't so that we could better ourselves, but it's that we could help others. And I feel like God took this dumb, stupid, fat girl from the hood, allowed her to to not just read, but fall in love with reading, to understand the power of words and the power of story, to advocate for those who cannot be heard in this season, the, the, the victims of human trafficking, is a privilege and an honor that I take so highly. In addition to that, I feel like God has allowed me to be a freedom writer. But now as I travel the country and the globe advocating for for justice, but also teaching and communicating the truth of God's word, I feel like I get to be a freedom fighter as well. So a faithful God looked at this little girl from the hood who believed Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan for my life, finds a good and not of evil to give me a future and a hope. And I held on to that. I held on to God's promises like it was the very essence of life. It was the thing that kept me afloat. It was the life preserver when the storms were raged on. And I get to write about that now and share that story of God's faithfulness in my life to hopefully spark an ember of faith, an ember of transformation in the life of other people. That's really powerful. And it is amazing how a lot of times the things in our stories that seem sometimes that they don't fit or that they don't make sense are the very things that God is using to absolutely, you know, to prepare us or to strengthen us. And so is there a part in, in the book, in this book, is there a part that was the hardest to write? You know what? Yes. Uh, there's two sections. I am a twin. And, um, what people don't understand is like twins. When you share, I called her my, my womb mate, because we just shared a womb for nine months and then we shared a room. Um, you know, it's so funny because when you have a a life partner, it's like you have like a, a spouse for your whole entire life. You always have someone to play with and someone to dress up with and someone to travel with. And when my sister got married, I love her husband. I mean, they dated for a number of years during college and we really, we became the tricycle, if you will. And it was all three of us and we kind of rolled around together and it was so fun. Um, But I didn't realize really what loneliness was and isolation was because I always had Jasmine. I always had my twin sister with me. And for the first time in my life, it was, uh, and that's what I talk about in the book, like literally everything around me was up in flames. Um, my my relationships were up in flames. My mother was diagnosed with a terminal illness, two of them actually, two, two forms of cancer. My younger sister uh, just was turning to drugs and alcohol to kind of assuage the confusion of how a good God can allow this to happen to good people. And, and in the midst of that, you know, my sister uh, married an amazing man who I loved, but it almost felt as if I went through a divorce and everything in my life split. And, um, not only that she moved away and I felt I I was living at home. I moved back home and I felt like I was the only one that was shouldering, you know, raising my two, three younger siblings and an ailing mom and being alone and feeling like, what am I doing with my life? I called it my quarter life crisis. And, uh, so that was difficult because I didn't realize, I, I think it was a tacit 
kind of knowing or understanding. But when I had to write about it, it really resurrected like how lonely and hard that season was. And then the second thing was during that time, um, I had kind of wanted to control everything in my brokenness. My natural reaction is to control when things are out of control. And, um, I grew up obese. Oh yeah. Add that to the mix, Andrew, as a kid in the hood who couldn't read, write or spell, whose parents are immigrants and we shop at thrift stores. I'm also uh, obese. I weighed more than my father. And that was kind of like this thing that haunted me my entire life. And so, uh, I, I lost a little bit of weight in high school, just playing a lot of sports. But when I got to college, I decided I am going to just completely reinvent myself. I did, I stopped count after 32 diets, but I was like on so many diets, popped pills, drank soups, did shakes, whatever I could. Um, and I lost a lot of weight, but I didn't realize what a stronghold it was. You know, some people's strongholds is alcohol or porn or, you know, pills. My stronghold was food. And it was this weird thing. It's, and I don't think that we really address it in the church, you know, because we don't have to drink alcohol. We don't have to pop pills. We don't have to watch porn, but we have to eat to live. So it's one of those things where you don't even realize how the enemy is so smooth. He's a smooth operator. He'll come in and tempt you with some steamy bread that you just, crispy cream, you know, Coca-Cola, all these things that in moderation are fine. But before you realize it, you're using that as a coping mechanism. And I think that writing about that was probably the most difficult part. It's still something that haunts me even today. Um, but I have to claim, I have to hold on to, I've got to believe the promises of God and not let my way size or the enemy define who I am mm. and hold on to the promises of God in the midst of that. Um, at the same time, I also recognize that I need to keep my body as a temple. And if God has called me to long-term ministry and longevity, I want to eat well. I want to work out. I want to say no to crispy cream donuts in the name of Jesus. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if there's someone listening from Krispy Kreme, we love you. Okay, we love you. <laughs> we love you. Unfortunately, we love you too much. But, <laughs> but yeah, those were probably the two hardest things for me to write about. Wow. And, and as you reflect upon that, like, I mean, if, if there's somebody— who's listening right now, who feels like, man, that, that is my struggle. Like that's the stronghold in my life. What were some of the things that you saw God use to, to kind of break down that stronghold? Yeah, I'm not very much of a formulaic thinker, I would say. But one of the things that I did see kind of just naturally rise to the surface in writing this book was I saw what God did in my life. And it, it almost came to a point where I had to hit rock bottom and sometimes we don't know that we're in need of God or in need of a transformational work that God wants to do in our lives until we have nothing else to hold on to. So I realized that crying out is this beautiful example, a beautiful way. It's a humble reminder that we need God for every moment of every day. And we see this with the scope of scripture. We see David cried out, Paul cried out, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out. So there's this beautiful, um, I love the Hebrew word, Kara, it's Q-A-R-A. And it's not just a, please God, it is a yell from the depths of our soul. And sometimes we just got to get to that point. God, I cannot do this without you. I cannot see my child throw away their life. I cannot uh, let go of this horrible relationship. I cannot do what you've called me to do at work. I cannot rescue these people. I cannot, like Moses, God, who am I to do this? It is a cry out of our total inability to do anything worthwhile without God. But then after crying out, we just can't just cry about it because then it becomes like complaining. There's a difference between crying out and complaining. We're not, I'm not talking about complaining. Uh, I'm talking about crying out and crying out leads us to surrender. 
we have to let go of those things that we are holding to us, like little precious, like golem, you know, from Lord of the Rings, precious. Like we have those things in our life. We don't really want to admit them. They might even be good things, but God is saying, let go of the good so I could bless you with the great. And after that, we have to hold on to the promises of God. I think the thing that, that you're hitting on that's so powerful is, I think in American culture, we want to be independent. Like we like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient, independent. And right. what you're talking about is, is letting yourself just completely depend on the Lord and, and crying out to him. And I think it's something that for a lot of us, we kind of cringe like, oh no, I don't want to kind of show that much weakness. And so I, I just love that call to do that. Yes, absolutely. And it's not just, it, it, it's not just this one thing that's the magic solve all. It's letting go. Um, it's surrendering to God and it's believing what his word tells us. He did not leave us as orphans. We're not forlorn, you know, redheaded stepchildren. We are his chosen children and he loves us. He wants the very best for us. And so it goes back to what someone told me, lay it down. And when you lay it down, it's either your, not yours to carry, or when you pick it back up, it's going to have a greater strength. Like Moses, staff turned into a snake. And you know, that was a, that was something that was dangerous. And sometimes we lay down what feels comfortable and we pick up something that's dangerous, but it's because God has called us to do something great and chosen because we are his chosen children. He loves us, but chosen does not mean being comfortable. And so we have to get that through our minds. Every day we wake up and saying, God, I want more of you. I call and cry out to you, believing that there's a plan and a purpose for my life. I surrender my will for yours. And I hold on to the promises of God. I mean, you see that through Jesus. That's literally what he did in the garden. It's not my will, but your will. I don't want this to happen, but for your glory, we'll do this. I think that's just a healthy reminder as leaders, you know. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, Bianca, this is, the time has flown, and I'm so excited for the impact that this book is going to have. It's so great that you share vulnerably from your own story and show how God has uh, met you and, and strengthened your faith. And so it's just a delight to have you on the show. Thanks so much Thank for you. being with us. Thank you. So fun to be with you. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Bianca Oltoff for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes and consider sending this episode to somebody that you know that might benefit from listening to it. Also be sure to download the show notes for this episode and every episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In the show notes, we always include resources mentioned in each show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve this podcast or guests that you'd love to hear us interview, you can email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.